to thank uh, the Brooklyn Zen Center for um, inviting me to come join you. I've heard so many great things about this community. And finally, all the causes and conditions come together for me to come practice with you this morning and um, share the Dhamma I have benefited from so much over the years uh, through my practice with Master Shen Yan. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's um, the main chant master in the United States for many years. Um, Zen is the Japanese pronunciation of Chan, same character. And uh, so, and actually, the meditation center I practiced uh, at and did translation for him is just down the road on 278, a little farther. So, this. Uh, this week, driving to Brooklyn a couple times on 278 brought back a lot of uh, memory for me. Because uh, for years, my husband and I would drive from Central Jersey uh, Friday evening uh, to come um, to come to Master Shen Yin's classes and also me to serve as his uh, interpreter. And Friday afternoon traffic on 278, I don't know if you know. <laughs> It's really not moving very much. And uh, to make the 7 p.m. class, we left our house usually a little after 4. And we actually knew this stretch of the 278 quite well, because <laughs> we spent a lot of time not moving. And, <laughs> and so it was actually, I, was like, I didn't need to stay, stay on it that long. That was really lovely. I was just like, my body was just, I don't know, really, do I need to get on 278 again? <laughs> and um, so, but uh, I'm delighted to be here this morning. Um, I chose, when, when I was asked to, to come um, today, I chose the topic Chan practice and the Bodhisattva path. Um, I don't know if the term Bodhisattva path is familiar to you. But actually, I know many of you are already engaging in the practice of Bodhisattva path. From the very beginning, when I, uh, when I started practicing with Master Shen Yin, the very first um, seven-day intensive retreat that took place in the Chan Meditation Center in Queens, uh, which was in a room half the size. Uh, we were in there for no window. <laughs> for for seven days, that was our retreat, and um, it was very clear to me that Bodhisattva path is an integral part of Chan practice, based on the way Master Shen Yin um, led the community and advised everyone at the end of the retreat. Throughout the retreat, I saw that the center was um, run by volunteers. Uh, there are people, um, volu uh, lay volunteers, who looked after the registration, um, the job assignment during the retreat, setting up off the Chan Hall, all the way to preparing all the meals for all seven days. They take turns, people from the community bringing grocery during the retreat. And um, also retreat participants who would take turns to be timekeeper so that it's possible for us to practice in the retreat. Right? They're all taking the different roles. I know you're familiar with that. Right? And uh, also, one thing that struck me was um, that confirmed my observation was that at the very end of the retreat, at the, at the very end of the retreat, um, usually the retreat master would advise us how to continue our practice, what we ought to do, to deepen our practice. Um, so um, in addition to um, joining group practice, establishing uh, a practice at home so that we engage in meditation practice every day so we don't forget, one thing he emphasized a great deal was for us to find time to um, volunteer for the community in one way or the other. So but those who live in the Queens area, um, they were encouraged to um, join, to help out, maybe in food preparation, or um, the 
look, uh, looking after the facility. For those of us, I, I flew from California. I was, uh, I, I was a graduate student in California at that time uh, to help maybe in our Dharma community. And um, so it became very clear to me that um, offering ourselves um, in the service of uh, others uh, in, and also in support of, uh, of, of the Dharma is very, a very integral part of our Chan practice. Right? So it was, the, it was very much a balance between engaging in our own meditation practice to study and also offering ourselves. And um, so, uh, I, I myself, uh, through the years, benefited greatly from this approach. And I find myself talking about the importance of Bodhisattva path all the time. And uh, I'm so happy I finally have an opportunity to make it very explicit what, what I meant uh, all this time. And um, for example, in my experience serving as Master Shingen's um, uh, translator uh, for intensive retreats, many retreatants actually would come to me, oh, thank you so much, Rebecca. You know, you sacrifice your retreat. Uh, you don't get to sit and you get disturbed by having to talk during the retreat and, and you have to think and you have to uh, figure out how to translate a talk. So you, like, you basically sacrifice your practice. By uh, by inter by doing being the uh, the translator for for the master, um, I actually the experience very different um, because the responsibility of having to translate during the uh, Dharma talks for Master Shen Yan motivated me to practice more diligently. Because obviously I cannot allow myself just to wander all over the place. Because by the time, uh, when, by the time the talk started, my mind needs to be settled, clear, and uh, and I obviously cannot be falling asleep during the talk, which I noticed a lot of people were doing. And uh, so, uh, because because of of my responsibility and also my wish to help non-Chinese speakers to benefit from Master Shenyan's teaching, um, and 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 well, uh, being willing to take on this this responsibility of being Master Shenyan's translator, I actually. Uh, benefited from the practice more because I became more motivated uh, from uh, to to practice diligently. Uh, not to mention, I listened to his uh, teachings more closely and remember uh, still many years uh, after uh, very uh, nuanced or specific points of my practice. Right? So others thought that I was not able to practice as well. I was sacrificing my retreat, uh, but that wasn't the case at all. And, uh, but it's very counterintuitive. Right? It's, I always say but the Bodhisattva path, the approach of Bodhisattva path is very counterintuitive. And um, so uh, that's why I thought I'd like to um, share this uh, with you this, this morning here. So the spirits of Bodhisattva path, um, uh, the way Master Shunyan uh, articulated is to take others as ourselves. So rather than focusing on ourselves, is to like take the benefits of others as the benefits of, of for ourselves. And very often when we are engaging in, uh, in this practice, um, we are really also putting the benefits for others before that for ourselves, prioritizing, prioritizing benefiting others to benefiting ourselves. And so the emphasis of this practice is on bringing benefits to others. Right? Now, you might have this question right away in your mind, like, uh, well, the the mean I just you know forget about about myself and not take care of myself, right? Uh, nowadays, you heard a lot about the importance of self care in in our practice. So this will be a good question if you have that in in your mind. So um, engaging in bodhisattva path practice is not about not taking care of, of ourselves. 
That's not what that means. Uh, it's easy to fall into that trap that, oh, I just care about other people and I don't eat, you know, I like, so, you know, you see some people do that, right? They just they don't sleep and then they collapse and then, then they're no good for anything. Actually, I met a lot of people doing that. So, uh, so actually, um, if you understand the practice correctly, when we engage in uh, the practice of Bodhisattva path, what the goal is for us to be able to bring benefits to others. Well, how do we go about doing that? That takes wisdom that we need to um, see clearly. Well, what makes sense? What makes sense to do? And, uh, uh, and what, will, what, would, what it is that we do that can benefit others? And so what it is, and also um, that, will, that, will, that will be sustainable, that is not um, killing ourselves, right? Uh, that's what I mean by sustainable. So like we can't say, oh, I'm just going to go and do this and kill myself and then like, you know, help others. But well, then you will be no good tomorrow. Right? That's, that's not wisdom. That's not wisdom. So in our, um, in our wish to bring benefit to others, in the long, we're playing a long game, like the compassion. It's not just one-time compassion. Every day, many days, many years, right? That's a lot more compassion than just one time. Right, <laughs> one time, this heroic effort of one instance of compassion is like long game. All right, that's compassion, like so that more people can benefit from it, and um, and 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 the wisdom of seeing that being the case and not being just trying to be heroic right? or a martyr, and so um, we'll find that well, you know, how do I get to do that? We need to take good care of our body and mind. So we will find that making sure that we maintain our practice is very important, make time for our own practice. Because it's easy for us to get super busy, overextended, help this person, help that person, and our mind is kind of all like agitated, and we, we, we don't even know that's happening. Our body is drained, and, and uh, we, we don't know that's even happening. And uh, we are, we, as we forget, about looking after our body and mind, then we lose our practice. What good would we be if we are, our, our goal is to help others, encourage them to practice? And like you're super agitated yourself, <laughs> all right? Or you are so very, very uh, drained and worn out, and people look at you as like, uh, to practice like you, to, and become like you, I I don't think so. Like, doesn't look like doesn't look like a really good good life I would like to follow. Right? So like, if you take good care of yourself, you know you 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 are at ease. You um you know things may happen. There might be difficulties. Right? You might have to encounter um, challenges like um, aging parents or someone in your family getting very ill, and you're able to maintain your, your, your stability comfort, like, and handle it with compassion and wisdom, then people are like, oh, wow, like, I wish I can do that. I wish I can do that. Then you are benefiting them by helping them see that, wow, the practice really benefits you by the way you look after your body and mind. So um, I noticed that being the case, I actually, my, I'm married to, um, to a guy who grew up in Kansas. And uh, my in-laws, uh, my mother-in-law grew up uh, on the farm in Kansas. Uh, so, and, uh, so I never talked to them about, you know, the Dharma. They, they, they just know that I'm very busy going to lead retreats and things like that, and they just put up with it. Uh, so, because very often I, we, I don't get to spend a lot of time over Thanksgiving or, 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 or the, during the holidays with them. And, uh, but, um, but, but they can't help but notice that, um, that I was able to um, cope with, um, for example, my father being in the ICU uh, and help help my help my family um, go through that very difficult patch and um, find good care for my father um, and maintain keep keep uh, the fa uh, family uh, in peace and and she made a comment like 
oh, I realized maybe the best person to help look after us will be Rebecca <laughs> when I when I mean, and so like the the trust uh, building there, like because they grew up in a very Christian culture, right? So, Suspicious these Buddhists, what do they do? And then, and then uh, slowly uh, realizing, oh, maybe there's something in there. And, uh, and this summer she told me she wanted to sign up for some, um, um, some workshop coping with uh, anger uh, coming from the current political climate put on by the Buddhist Peace Fellowship. I was like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> I, I, I will send you the link. <laughs> I told her, I, I gave, I gave a, one of the talks, but he, and she said, oh, I, I think I can use that. I can use the, maybe, you know, the, the, the Buddhist practice has something to it. To so, um, so in, 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 so it's not, so when we take good care of ourselves, um, we're actually more effective in doing that, right? And I personally benefit from it. It's like um, my Dhamma teaching schedule getting more intense and I, on top of my full-time professional job as a professor. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I need to be able to keep up my energy. And so uh, it motivated me to exercise more regularly. And uh, my husband, uh, noticed that I actually have become more fit than before. Now, like I'm not talking about really fit. <laughs> I'm not not athletic, but like I was able to keep up with him when we went hiking, and I'm not like falling behind 20 feet usually or half a mile. Uh, so, so, um, so, in my um, vow to 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 do this work to bring benefit to others. I know that I need to look after my body and mind and motivating me to exercise more. And well, guess what? Who benefits more first? I don't know if I'm bringing benefit to others or not, but I, my body definitely <laughs> benefits first. Uh, in, 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 and actually, I find myself also um, having like stronger um, immune system and, 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 uh, and more energy. Uh, uh, as I get older, which is kind of crazy. So um, now, it is also not about allowing others to run our life. Okay, so we're talking about benefiting, prioritizing the benefits of others, right? And so we, the other question, you'd be like, well, does it mean we just you know, not have our own direction, not have our own idea of what we should be doing, what not not have our own principle, you know, just like let other people, whatever other people think is good to just drag us along. And um, this is also a, a valid question, a common one, uh, when we when we are talking about um, living our life according to the Bodhisattva path. And recently Actually, as I was preparing for my talk at the Greenwood Cemetery, I uh, came across this uh, really helpful teaching by Master Shen Yan. I thought would be good to, um, I'd like to share with you. His advice on how to put others before us without getting confused or losing our way is this. We're just thinking very clearly. Um, it's very rational. Well, you know, we apply wisdom and compassion to help us discern what to do. So, if something is beneficial to, to ourselves and others, it's kind of a no-brainer. Of course we do it, right? And if something is um, beneficial to others, but doesn't hurt us, what do we do then? Yeah, of course, right? And if um, something is of great benefit to others, but may cause small sacrifices on our part, do we do it? We, we're like, <laughs> I don't know. How great a sacrifice are you talking about? <laughs> wow, I need to do some cost-benefit analysis there. Huh? It's like, yeah, actually, we, we still really do our best to, to, to support that, to support that, right? Now, the last, the last advice he, he mentioned was the, uh, is to put this point about not being a martyr, who is talking about how, well, if there, you encounter some really unreasonable person and threaten to, to, to really hurt you, 
uh, if you don't comply, well, there's no point in you know being heroic and try to like stand up to that. Like you, so you you put up with that and, and comply. So that what is it? So that you can live another day to <laughs> bring benefit to sentient beings, right? Not being a martyr, right? So um, here he's talking about we we cultivate this clarity to see, to look at the situation. To look at the situation. Okay, does it benefit others? Does it benefit me? Does it benefit others but not hurt me? And then so it's very it becomes very clear um, whether, you know, how how to proceed. And also he's talking about being willing, the practice of building being willing to make sacrifices in order to benefit others. Right. And uh, if we feel that we, we, we feel resistance arising to this thought, this is good. It's like, oh, interesting. What am I resisting? What am I resisting? Right? Huh, what am I, what I'm, what I'm, what am I afraid of when we talk about, when I hear the word sacrifices? So, um, What's interesting is that, as I as I share in my uh, in my experience earlier, what appears to be sacrifices may turn out to be beneficial. What in, we initially thought to be sacrifices may turn out to be uh, very beneficial for ourselves. It just was not obvious in the moment. Right? Um, so actually, we have a lot of the practitioners. Uh, Engaging in that already, right? The you know the Ian, uh, the you know, or um, the uh, people responsible for preparing meal today, the reception. Um, well, you may sacrifice on Saturday morning. You could have been home, sleeping in, or you worked hard all week, uh, or you could be out enjoying this lovely Saturday morning beautiful weather out. Um, so you sacrifice your time as part of your weekend um, that you might have devoted to um, leisure, right? uh, to, to come to support the center, to support other people's practice. Right? Great benefit to others, small sacrifice on your part. Right? Well, the interesting thing is that I don't know if that's your experience. Um, in my experience, um, I, I, I spend a lot of the weekend on my uh, break um, in Dharma centers. Well, what it is is that it really saves money. So <laughs> instead of you going out and having, you know, spending tons of money on looking for interesting, exciting new things to entertain yourself uh, every Saturday, um, you just don't spend that couple hundred bucks. Right, and uh, so that may allow you to retire earlier later on. So uh, you didn't think of it, you didn't do that with that intention, but actually you, you benefit. Of course, not to mention um, benefiting from being in the com spending time in the company of other practitioners, it's all right. And uh, of course, you might think, well, like that, okay, that, that's small sacrifice. But well, like that's it, like little sacrifice. Like that's what I'm hearing. Well, sometimes it may be more than leisure time that we're sacrificing, right? Sometimes we might be sacrificing something more. Some people um, might find themselves um, in order to be able to support the, or engage in dharma work. Um, I'm going to use this as a main example. Um, they actually make sacrifices in their career advancement. They intentionally choose a career path that will accommodate the Dharma practice. Some of you might know, might, might be my experience that you intentionally choose a career path or uh, take, a, uh, take a job that allow you time to, um, to come to practice or to attend retreat or to train. Right, to train, uh, to, 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 to teach. And um, so, and of course you end up making less money, 
or, and then you have a less fancy house, fancy car, right? Less fancy vacation, maybe. And actually, uh, I, I know just such a person, actually many people I, in my life um, do that. But my, um, my teacher, Simon Child, from whom I received Dharma Transmission, he, that's exactly what he did. He's a medical doctor in the UK. And um, so he made a decent living. Uh, but he chose a, a specialty that will allow him time to, to uh, go to lead retreat, attend retreat early on in his career, and then later on to train to be a retreat leader. And uh, so forth. So he um, forgo the more lucrative uh, specialty. And um, I think actually at least 10 years ago, time just blurred together as you get older. But like everything, so I like it just happened. Uh, but it, I think at least it's around at least 10 years ago that he, um, he just realized that being a doctor just, it's just too much time. He cannot, he has to go to work, and so he cannot go, that he didn't have enough time to go lead retreats. His community needed him more and more to lead retreats. So he went, um, he quit his full-time uh, job in his medical practice uh, and became, um, in the UK, because they have public, they have national health care. Right? Uh, so to become a uh, substitute doctor. Uh, so he only worked when he had time. So it's usually the middle of the week. Like right? the retreat goes through the weekend. And uh, so um, he made l a little less money. Uh, and also he had to commute a lot farther because he's driving all over the place to fill in um, other doctors' vacation time. Um, but uh, he did that, so it was it was not just sacrificing like a Saturday morning, right? But like to, to really actually uh, restructure his life and uh, finances, and uh, and of course with uh, with with the support of his family as well, right? And um, the interesting thing you be like, huh? Well, I, well, that's. That's just a little far out. I don't think I can do that, and uh, because it's going to hurt my family and, uh, and 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 my and my children's future. And the interesting thing is that I I, I haven't quit my job uh, like him <laughs> to 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 do my my dharma work yet. Uh, and but I noticed that um, along the similar uh, uh, path. Um, as we cho as we chose a career uh, path that that's less lucrative, which takes less of our time, we don't need to work through weekend and be on call twenty four hours or something like that. Um, then we we just live a simpler life. We don't buy a giant house and have like vacation homes that some people just will end up with if they make so much money, they don't know what to do with that money. And then, well, then you have the trouble having to go look after your vacation home and look after the giant house and, and all those things. And, um, and I thought about it and I thought, you know what, um, that probably was part of the reason why I didn't end up with one of those jumbo loans um, before the financial <laughs> crisis and end up with an underwater mortgage uh, in, in 2007, 2008. Because uh, we had no aspiration to be in a giant, giant home uh, because of our chosen, more a simple lifestyle. So I didn't intend it, but actually I felt I definitely benefited from this choice looked like a, a sacrifice, but it's not really. It makes my life so much less stress stressful. I don't have a, a complicated, a, a, a huge home to, to worry about, to maintain. So I can just focus on living my life rather than living my life to look after my giant house. Like I have a lot of uh, friends that do that. So um, you can see that to, um, and many years ago, Master Shen Yan explained in a retreat um, 
through a story the importance of Bodhisattva vow uh, for Chan practice. He shared the story of his friend, uh, who who's also a monastic, and uh, he who, who he's, this friend kept telling him, "I will start helping sentient beings after I attain enlightenment." <laughs> Right now, I need to focus on my practice first. Right. So I can't help them because I, I need to get enlightened myself first before I can help them. Right. And Master Shen Yan told us, he's like, it was 20 years ago he told me this. <laughs> and he's still not enlightened. <laughs> and uh, actually, I, to- I told him that the, as long as he keeps this attitude, he will never get enlightened. You will never get enlightened. So this this story, this story um, shared by Master Shinyan illustrates the importance of orienting our Chan practice to benefiting others from the very beginning, not after we get enlightened, <laughs> from the very beginning, doing whatever we can in the beginning. Surely we can help chop vegetable <laughs> in the kitchen, right? It's like I don't know how to meditate very well. Maybe you can't help with like meditation instruction, but we all can help like keep the floor clean, right? So we help and, and use, do that as a work practice. Doing whatever we can as a crucial method, crucial method of reducing our self-centeredness or our habitual obsession over ourselves, our problems. This self-centeredness and this over, uh, this obsession over our problems is the key obstacle, key obstacle to settling our mind and cultivating clear awareness in our practice. It's very counterintuitive because we thought, Oh, I want to settle my mind. I'm going to focus on making my mind settle. And the more we do that, the more our minds agitate. I don't know if you have experienced that. Wow, my mind's not calm yet. So um, Bodhisattva path, it's again a counterintuitive approach. um, It's a method to help us let go of this um, obsession over ourselves. This is very different from our usual mode of operation. If you think about it, it's, that's why it feels counterintuitive uh, and can take a really long time for us to really understand and get, get into it because we are very much conditioned by the world around us of the opposite way of being. So cultivating the awareness of how we are conditioned and actually rewarded, rewarded uh, uh, um, in, our, in, in our life from the very young age and continuously in our, uh, in our uh, life outside the Dharma Center. Right? So the usual mode of operation that is taught to us is that, um, well, if you want to succeed at something, right? so here is like, okay, I'm here, I'm going to get enlightened, and this is my goal. Okay, so what do we do? We focus on how to achieve it. Like, what's the means? Like, uh, so identify what's the best path, right? What's the means? And um, also to just focus on it, not get distracted, not allow us to get distracted from it. So we identify the means, which is to practice meditation, go to retreat perhaps, and just focus on that. Focus on that. I can't can't be bothered by doing other things because I need to attain that goal. Single-minded focus on that. If the goal of enlightenment is to reduce suffering, we might say, oh, then we want to stop our suffering first, mine, I want to stop my suffering first, then we can worry about helping others. That's our usual mode of operation. Isn't that how we usually operate in our life, right? I, if I really want to do something well and so that I can teach someone else, well, I need to like, get and become very good at this first before I worry about other people. That's our usual mode of operation. So we'll think that before then, I can't help them. 
I can't help them because I can't even help myself now. Does this sound like the attitude of that monk that Master Shenyu was talking about? Like, I need to get enlightened first before I help sentient beings. The trouble is, this mentality causes us more suffering. Instead of alleviating our suffering in the process of practice. It's easiest to see this in the context of our sitting meditation practice. I don't know if you can relate to that. You may have friends who have such experience. Some practitioners of sitting meditation can create a lot of suffering for themselves by focusing on their own practice and progress, fussing over, is my mind calm? Is it calm enough? Am I, uh, it's not as calm as yesterday. Oh, what's wrong? Does this sound familiar? Oh, what's wrong with me? Am I practicing right? And we can become very irritated, actually, in our sitting meditation when we think that others are disturbing our practice. If we engage in group practice in a, in a meditation hall or during a a retreat, you might have fellow practitioners in the hall shifting around. They might move because there might be the reason. They might be very because they are very uncomfortable. They have a lot of pain, uh, and um, or they or maybe they were um, they they were coughing or making sound because they were very ill. They're very sick, right? We don't know yet. It's like, why wouldn't that person just shut up, you know? Why wouldn't that person just stop moving? I can't believe it. And I, I, I literally had, had practitioners come into my retreat interview complaining about their neighbor uh, um, moving. And the recent retreat, uh, uh, her, her neighbor um, was experiencing intense pain. She has in, uh, a genetic um, uh, a condition that she she was worried about, but she she came to the retreat anyway, and 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 she practiced through it, and it was uh, incredible. But of course, there's no way for you to know, like someone sitting there, you don't know why they that how much pain they're in uh, because of their uh, medical condition, and uh, but uh, the, her her neighbor was just uh, incredibly annoyed and. Uh, agitated by, by it because because largely because she her, her idea of practice is like everybody just this is not supposed to move to, to disturb my practice I'm here to to do my practice right. and uh, I had a student in uh, when I was teaching a meditation group in Rutgers he's a Rutgers uh, graduate student he came to me he's like Dr. Lee, I, I am confused about this meditation business because my grandmother meditated all the time. She's like the most nasty person. <laughs> she was always telling us kids off, like telling us to shut up and not to bother her. I said, yeah, we can engage in meditation practice with the incorrect attitude and and the result is the opposite, the opposite of alleviating our own suffering and alleviating other people's suffering. Because when we are so focused on our own mind being able to calm down and everyone's like, world has to stop. Everyone has to stop breathing so I'm not disturbed. Uh, then every little sound is going to irritate them. Right? You might sit there at home trying to have your good meditation and get super mad that the, your neighbor's dog would not stop barking. It's not that they, they can't help, you know, or someone's baby would stop crying. Our mind gets so agitated and we act it out. We act it out. So no peace inside, 
we create more suffering, and as a result, we bring more suffering, cause more problem for others. So the paradox here is that the more we focus on ourselves in our practice, right, in the context of meditation, it's like, again, it's the, oh, like, am I making progress? Am I close to enlightenment, you know? Am I doing better today than yesterday? We just fuss and fuss over it. The more difficult it is for the mind to settle down. Bodhisattva path goes by a very different logic. We don't worry about our own progress. You learn the practice, you learn the method, and we just practice. We just practice. We just practice. And as part of our practice, we put benefiting others ahead of ourselves. So. Uh, I, I really love it when I saw on your website the you know, detailed description of this wholehearted activities practice. Right? Um, so when you sign up for wholehearted activities practice in the kitchen, for example, right, um, all you want is to be able to um, help prepare food because you know uh, and to to support everyone coming here to engage in the in the practice. And so it may seem like you are giving up time to sit, to do sitting meditation, like, uh, and um, that, that the other, others, others get to do, because you're here Saturday morning, and others can sit a little more than you do. And, um, but without being so worried about it, without being, oh, like I'm going to fall behind because they, those other people are sitting more than I do, because I'm in the kitchen, you know, cutting vegetables. Uh, you just focus on doing your best doing your best to prepare the meals for other practitioners wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. In the process, your heart is filled with joy because you're doing this to support other people's practice. And if indeed other people can practice well, um, as a result, you rejoice in their practice, in their success. Right? And um, instead of thinking of this as, oh, I'm falling behind, like, oh, wow, like, that's great. They, they do, they're doing well. Because if they, if they, if they practice well, then they'll be able to contribute to the world in their own way right, by suffering less. And um, with, this, with this full mindfulness, you work so wholeheartedly that you forget all about anything that's been bothering you, things at work, things that's going on at home, maybe physical issues like that you have. And, and, and so while you're in the kitchen, you're free from suffering. Isn't that the point of the practice? So to be free from suffering? You don't get to sit as much as others, but in your way of prioritizing benefiting others, you know, engaging in this bodhisattva path, you, you are actually free from suffering in the moment you are offering yourself because you stop obsessing over your own problem. So this is why giving rise to the great Bodhi-mind is the prerequisite of becoming a great practitioner. And actually, for Master Shen Yin, for becoming a Dharma teacher. Without great Bodhi-mind, one really has no business in uh, teaching the Dharma. And without it, we cannot really develop right view. That's the main reason in our practice. Think about it. If we have we practice with the mentality that, oh, I need to look after my suffering, reduce my suffering first, and then and then I can help you reduce your suffering, aren't you perpetuating this wrong view, this fundamental ignorance, which is holding on to the idea that there is an independent, separate me that is separate from you, which is an independent, separate you. And forgetting that we are all interdependent. 
So cultivating bodhisattva path is an integral part of developing wisdom. And so as we orient our charm practice towards the benefit of all sentient beings, we are actually deepening our understanding and cultivation of the parameters, the perfections towards Buddhahood in our Dharma teaching. That, that's been discussed in our Dharma study. So I was just touching on the parameter of wisdom. As we engage in the cultivation of the Bodhisattva path, the mentality is that we know very clearly that when we benefit others, it's benefiting me. There's no difference. Um, so this is, this is a way to really um, understand and uh, actualize our understanding, very often just starting with conceptual understanding of the wisdom of the teaching of interdependence. Right? And, and we can we experience it. It's experiential learning. It's like we, we can see that when other people around us are free from suffering, like think your family members, when they're not suffering, are they like easier to live with? <laughs> Much better, right? <laughs> when they are, and they, they are more pleasant, they are happy when they're happy. Much easier to work. Like when, when your family member is easier to, li to live with, does that help you? Does it reduce your <laughs> suffering? When they reduce the suffering, my suffering is reduced. Because we're all interconnected. Because when we suffer, we just cause problems for others. But when, when they're happy, when they're free from suffering, when, then it's, life is so much easier for everybody. This helps us see in the most direct way. We're all interdependent. We're all interdependent. Or you can think about it the other way around, you know, like if we look after ourselves, we are, um, whereas we are no, not so irritable, we are an easier person for our family to live with, right? So if, our, if we, start, uh, we start the practice with wanting to make uh, our loved ones happy, it's the best way. Best way. And then, uh, and then they, they benefit from our practice. And then their joy, their uh, lessened suffering, will then kind of radiate out to their workplace, their friends. That's how we benefit all sentient beings in this particular way, among many others. And um, also, as we, as we engage in practice of bodhisattva path, um, we need to truly understand the Buddha's wisdom in order to apply them. And um, for instance, uh, Master Shenyan has this motto talking about how when we are handling um, affairs, like maybe um, how to run a Dharma Center, let's say, dealing with uh, financial issues, we apply wisdom. And when it's dealing with people, we um, apply compassion. Oh, okay, we remember that. That's the first step. But what does that mean? We, so when we are actually in the position of looking after or helping run a Dharma Center, we have the opportunity to really think about how do I, how do I apply this? And then we, of course, become, we, need, uh, we are motivated to try to understand what it means by um, wisdom, the wisdom of interdependence, causes and conditions, emptiness. How, how does that apply in this particular situation? Right? Or how do I apply compassion? How do I make sure that uh, I, um, whilst to, while to, to helping make things happen in a way that needs to, be hap needs to happen, but treating people kindness, respect, and forgiveness sometimes if it has involved people making mistakes. 
And um, you can see it's very much related to the parameter of samadhi. We've talked about throughout the importance of having this clarity, clarity uh, of knowing clearly what's going on, what's going on. And um, in encountering these situations, we might, um, we, we cultivate this clarity of how we are feeling about it. Uh, in and in inter in our uh, in our work like interacting with others, uh, and what are our habitual tendencies? We are able to see more clearly. Uh, maybe we usually respond, react with a lot of fear, or just avoiding, avoiding, just not doing anything, um, or denial. Oh no, no, that's not what's really happening, or uh, maybe shifting blame to others. We can we see we see our we as we engage in activity with others we see and and uh, what it is is that we've had a lot of opportunity to have our sense of ourselves being challenged like when we sit on the cushion it's easy to think that oh I'm just so calm and I'm such a good practitioner I'm so wise I'm so compassionate and yet because we read and have these words in our mind. And then when we encounter, when we are like working in the, uh, I don't know how it's like in the kitchen here, but I, I was told at, the, at our retreat center, the kitchen is where people get into fights. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and, and, and uh, so, well, those are opportunities for us to see, wow, like we, uh, we, we may be surprised to see how we react with prejudices, maybe resentment, or we may be surprised by our capacity to, to forgive someone. So we, we learn. We learn something about ourselves that we might not pre know about previously. And also deepen our understanding of the nature of this sense of self. We're talking about cultivating wisdom. We, we talk about teachings of interdependence, emptiness. What does that mean? They're words, concepts we actually can truly understand them. And you think about the parameter of chila, upholding precepts. Again, if we are practicing in isolation from others, it's just easy to say, I'm such a good Buddhist, you know, I don't kill, you know, I don't lie, you know, I don't do any of the bad things. And, uh, but when we are in interaction with others, uh, helping look after the center's business, let's say. Um, I encountered that many times throughout the years of uh, helping look after the retreat center, let's say. Um, you, you, your commitment to upholding the precepts and your understanding of the precept get put to test. Like, so, because there's some points like, well, if I do this, this is going to really help us. But, but that's actually lying. <laughs> That's actually lying. Hmm, like, and, and if you don't lie, you know, it might, you know, involve a little bit more cost, you know, all that stuff, or a little more time. It's like, choose to do the difficult things, right, and not cut corner. And um, so one common, uh, one, one such um, example is when we are living and working in community, we may encounter situations where someone in the community is actually doing something harmful to others, or maybe even unethical. What do we do? What do we do? And um, when we, uh, the, the, we use, oh, like the uh, precepts say no divisive speech. Uh, so just not talk about it, right? not sit around and talk about other people, you know, doing bad, wrong things. Right? Keep silence and be a good Buddhist. Right? Or, or do we look deeper what the precepts really mean, especially, especially in combination with the practice of cultivating this clarity? Am I telling myself being a good Buddhist by keeping silent because actually I don't want to speak out? Is this too much? Anxiety. Uh, I'm too. I, I. I. I don't want to be involved in conflict. 
because right? I come to the center to just be at peace, right? So I don't want to be to be dealing with any of this. So what's that about? What's that about? Our intention, and um, and 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 seeing the the fear, perhaps or the resistance behind it. I'm not saying what we're always supposed to do, but cultivating this clarity to discern whether it is a case where um, is it just my prejudice that I think someone's doing something bad, right? Or, um, and also the clarity to discern um, whether we have the capacity to call someone out without causing problem, right? So, oh, no, you can cause more problems. And so the clarity, and then also apply the wisdom to know when to seek the guidance of a more experienced practitioner to help handle, to help guide you in handling the situation. Clarity and wisdom. And so then that, this helps us see how the three studies, precept, wisdom, and samadhi, they are not in isolation. They are deeply interconnected. So precept is not just about not doing this. It's not just the five rules, we just don't do this, I'm good. And so this, is, this helps us cultivate uh, upholding a precept um, in a deeper sense. And many of you are familiar with um, the cultivation and generosity giving of your time to come and support the center. And of course, um, when, we, when we give ourselves, it's really actually an opportunity for us to grow. Right? We have an opportunity to learn things that we wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to learn by offering ourselves. And, um, and my own experience uh, had been very much that, that this whole, the, my whole story of my practice with my master is uh, he would tell, okay, well, you, know, you also need to help like, run the retreat center. I don't know anything about how to run the retreat center. So guess what? Learn. I learned how to run a nonprofit. I learned how to run a retreat center. Uh, and I learned, so I learned a lot of things that my, my job as a professor wouldn't uh, allow me to learn. And uh, so actually that spillover in supporting my, my professional work as well. My, and um, so, uh, so again, while um, it seems you are giving, like you are you're giving something, like in your generosity, you end up benefiting more than anyone else in the process. This is the beauty of Bodhisattva path practice. And the paramita, of patience, patience. As we live in community and work with others instead of practicing in isolation and only worrying about our own meditation practice, let's say, then we will encounter situations where other people don't do things the way we want them to, right? <laughs> we and, or we have all these visions and grand plans of how we would like things to be. And people are just not seeing it. They're just not seeing your vision, right? Like, what's wrong with them? Like, and so, um, patience is about patience with others and respect their, their process, respect their, um, they, everyone would need to take time to understand and see what's going on. I'm not saying they will always end up agreeing with you, but patience with where others are right now and them having to go through their process, their path to continue on the practice. Because, and also patience with ourselves. We might get frustrated with our uh, with our inability to, to just get everyone to do what they're supposed to do or to control ourselves, to uh, settle down. And so we're patient with ourselves to allow ourselves to have our own process. We would, we would very much like ourselves to be here already in our practice, especially in relation to others. We get upset that we still get, get upset, actually, with others. Well, be patient with our own process. 
and watching how um, we we might watching how we we want to control the situation. Right. We, the beauty of the practice of Bodhisattva path working with others, especially the Dharma Center, is very precious opportunity because well, guess what? You don't get to choose who you work with, and you cannot fire them if you don't like what they do, right? <laughs> and uh, in in my uh, community, a lot of people they're like. They, they're business owners, you know, they're, they're used to being able to just boss people around and, you know, fire them if they don't do, and then like, so it's really good practice for them to come to the Dumb Center. It's like, well, we're all volunteers and we, ju you, we just have to learn to be with each other. Right? And, and, uh, and also see how our urge to control everybody actually causes us a lot of suffering. And how we can just relax and just be allow the causes and conditions to to unfold, and we truly believe some a certain vision um, is worth pursuing. Good, we cultivate the causes and conditions for that to ha to happen. And um, the parabita of diligence, actually, we've been talking about all along. Bodhisattva practice doesn't stop when we leave the center. We might, you might think that, oh, the practice is just, well, come sit, and then I do a little Bodhisattva practice by helping out in the kitchen, let's say, and you know, cleaning up the place. And when I leave the center, benito, no more Bodhisattva practice. Actually, Bodhisattva path is um, when we remember to engage in the practice whenever we are interacting with other people at work, at home, with our friends, even with strangers. When we go to get a coffee in a coffee place, how do we interact with others um, in, 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 the, in the coffee place? And so um, in our keeping in mind that benefiting others is our priority. And we'll find ourselves, for example, um, being in a, a coffee place. We get very upset, you know, upset when, uh, when, when, the, when the line is, uh, is long, and then we might begin to complain and then make, um, and stress out the barista even more, and then now everyone's taking longer to get the coffee. And it's like, how about if we think, you know what? Yeah, it's a long line, but to to settle down so that we don't get upset and not complain. We are already helping the situation, prioritizing, benefiting all sentient beings. Everyone, we are all in the same situation. So, um, and so when we remember to integrate a practice in all aspects of our life, whatever the situation, and reflecting, reflecting on the mistakes we make, As we engage in this practice more and more, we can notice, oh yeah, I made a mistake there. Let me make sure I don't do that again. We slowly transform ourselves. What a better. So Bodhisattva path um, is, very, is based on the great Bodhisattva vow that we make. I want to share with you um, the very first sutra that I read as a practitioner was the um, sutra of the great vow of Siti Gabaraja Bodhisattva. He's the earth store Bodhisattva, and the entire sutra is about him vowing not to attain Buddhahood until the hell is empty of sentient beings. And the whole, whole sutra talk about how many levels of hell and there are a lot of beings there being suffering this way. It's like, you look at this like, there's no way he's ever going to get light, uh, attain Buddhahood because there's this just too, too, too many um, sentient beings in hell. But the spirit behind this vow is that as long, as long as there are sentient beings suffering, I will not attain Buddhahood, meaning I will prioritize everyone else's liberation. And this is the spirit behind 
of bodhisattva vow behind this bodhisattva path. And Master Shenyan one time said, great vow, great realization. Medium vow, medium realization. <laughs> small vow, small realization. Of course, it goes from that no vow, no realization. So I encourage all of you to make great bodhisattva vows to help all sentient beings and give rise to great body mind, making this bodhisattva path an integral part of your practice. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.